before we get started on realignment, I don't know if you saw this since you were at the beach, but I wanted to get a vibe check from you as a former North Carolina resident, UNC hater, two days ago, August 4th, 11.07 p.m., Armando Baycott tweeted out the following, quote, late night thoughts, no bias. Does Wisconsin have a better jump around than we do? Now, the context to this mm. is, of course, that Wisconsin, particularly at their football games, known for between the third and fourth quarter, they play House of Pains, jump around, yeah. all the students in particular jump but like everybody in the stadium jumps. It's like yeah. a big tradition. Very much known for it. Yeah. Right. And UNC does this apparently before their basketball games and football games. And I have been to both mm -hmm. in Chapel Hill. And I have some memory of them doing this, but not to the extent. I would not call that an iconic thing that UNC fans do. I've been there several times. And I, like, as you're saying this, I'm I'm not sure that. There's nothing in my brain that's like, oh, yeah, they do that. So what I wanted to get into is that there are a lot of UNC fans that immediately tweeted back at him. Saying many, that they have a better one? Immediately saying like, no, they're not better. And it's like, okay, well, they clearly are. I don't think it would work for just the general populace. But if you surveyed people who identified as college sports fans, college football fans... I would argue you could go almost anywhere in the country, again, with college football fans, and say, what is, like, what's Wisconsin known for, like, as a thing that happens in their stadium? A tradition, right? We just talked about traditions. And almost universally, I feel like people are going to be able to say, oh, it's jump around. I don't know of anyone who would respond that way for Carolina. Yeah, what, I mean, what is Carolina football known for being overrated in the preseason rankings? I was like, going to say they're in terms of like fan celebrations, just complaining to the refs. Yeah. About like any call, like a whistle of any kind that goes against their school. I think to have to to have a notable fan tradition, you've got to be able to fill Keenan Stadium with more than 50 percent of your fans. I think that that is a prerequisite. And in my experience, they've been unable to do that look as we've discussed before on this show i attended elon university a small private college not that far from chapel hill and we played them maybe my first or second year at keenan stadium and i went to that game and like i'm not gonna pretend that elon fans outnumbered carolina fans that day not even close but it was there was a significant delegation from Elon that you could see and like hear at times early in the game Elon made some plays and it was like wait a second I can like hear our fans that's sad when it's like an FCS school much smaller and I'm, I that was I'm it was like the first game of the season so I'm assuming Carolina was ranked because that's just kind of the tradition these days is like throw them the old 17 spot in the preseason top 25 <laughs> and um they obviously beat the crap out of us by the end of it. But, like, I just remember it being notable that our fans were able to have some sort of presence. Basketball is a little bit different, but I don't really associate that with their basketball program at all. I don't either. For one, it was just fascinating to see a bunch of UNC fans get defensive. It's the first time I've ever seen that in the wild. Yeah, right. You, you, like, they're usually so cogent. And <laughs> yeah, Um 
But then also a lot of excuses were on here. So there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, but it's because the university has so few students that are in the lower bowl for basketball games because they only have them like pretty much behind that basket that's near their bench. And so they're like, oh, it's just because we only have a bunch of old donors that Mm -hmm. are in the lower bowl. Otherwise, we would be rocking out. And I'm not saying that the Dean Dome is not a loud place. I've watched a game there. It was pretty loud. It's not the loudest place I've ever been to, but yeah. it was it was loud. But for like what? What are we talking about? Yeah, this is this is bad. I wonder I part of me kind of wonders if Armando Baycott was sort of trolling his own fan base. <laughs> like, hey, maybe y'all should come to the games and be right, loud. Right. Like I just uh I can't imagine a world in which I mean like what are the odds that he has been to a Wisconsin football game. I mean, I haven't been to a Wisconsin football game, so I guess I don't I don't know. Uh, I just I feel like Duke fans doing the Cascada yeah. thing is more iconic oh, and easily. louder and easily. I, like I associate that with their basketball team. Yeah. And like look, I I regularly shit on Carolina, so I'll throw them a bone here. You got plenty of tradition on the court. Historic program. I'm not going to sit here and say Carolina has no tradition because it obviously does in terms of its success athletically. That's kind of part of why we all hate them. I'll acknowledge that. But not a place that I think of having a ton of tradition in terms of fan things because most of their fans are in Greenville, North Carolina or in Gastonia or... (laughs) San Luis Obispo. (laughs) they're, (laughs) They're not actual like... Carolina they're what we call Walmart fans and that's okay it's not a bad thing it's well it's just saying that like I don't know that fan passion is something that I really give Carolina a ton of credit for especially in the context of North Carolina schools like I'm sorry you've got Duke Cameron Crazies obviously rank above it state fans are insane but loyal and and passionate Wake fans have those tie-dyed shirts. Uh, even so that, <laughs> even that, like got that going for them. You think about like Wake basketball and those damn tie-dyed shirts. Like at least there's something that you think of. With Carolina, I think of like I don't know a nice camembert and <laughs> like I just I don't know, man. The UVA fan is laughing at that. Yeah. Um, well, well. Anyway, I just I guess I really shouldn't be punching down onto Armando Baycott because. He's actually showing some awareness here. He's saying his fans are not quite as loud as Wisconsin fans right. and questioning traditions. So good job, Armando Baycott. I, I think a tip of the cap. You know, if those fans had jumped around just a little better, <laughs> maybe that team would have made the tournament last year. Oh. Got to jumped around the NIT <laughs> brackets. Well, we're going to opt out of that too. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. This is Michael McGraw. I'm here with Michael Shutt back in person after a couple of remote sessions. How was the beach? It was pretty good. We were very, very fortunate with weather. It was like highs in the mid-80s all week. Nice and sunny, but not too hot until our last day on Friday. It rained all day. 
but that meant that I was fortunate enough to spend the entire day with my family. And this is that what it's all about. Good quantity time with the family yeah, is what it's what, always that's, about. That's right. Uh, it was it was great. And now we're trading places. We get to have this little time in person, and then you're going to go take my place. That's right. Ships in the it's night. It's going to be much hotter, it looks like. Yeah. I will not be going outside because I will be working and then sitting by the pool that we have. So, And that's, that's really the key I've found is family vacation. Get a house with a pool. Let's be real. I think most people kid themselves into thinking the beach is actually like super great and it's fine but you're gonna get sand everywhere it's hot you're around a bunch of strangers there's trash have you seen what's in the ocean i mean it's you're just looking terrifying. at the world's largest toilet with <laughs> but it has like dangerous creatures in it too although i will say one of the days we went down to the beach and we were sitting there and there was this guy who was probably 75 years old and he was doing that uh i think you i think it's technically we debated what it's called I think it's technically called kite surfing, where you have mm. like the big mm-hmm. thing, yeah, mm-hmm. kite, and you surf. Yes, that yeah, that's where the <laughs> he, etymology is. He, right. He was amazing. He was going so high up in the air, it was scaring me because like he was sort of frail looking, and I thought like you know a strong wind is that going to just carry him all the way down to the outer banks or something like? But he was really. He was really awesome, and I really enjoyed it. And then we got back and got in the pool, and everybody was happy. Because I'm not going to get in the ocean. I'm not subjecting myself to that. No. Speaking of flying around all over the place, you like that? That was good. (laughs) Thanks. Conference realignment. Yeah. It's had a wild few days. And I should note that we're recording this on Sunday morning, August 6th, which is important because probably by the time that this (laughs) podcast is out, like nine other teams will have left their conferences and uh not florida state though florida state no. will still be just shouting that's right angry man yells at cloud <laughs> style from florida state but a lot has changed in the last week or so when it comes to realignment we have arizona and utah heading their way to the big 12 we have oregon and washington supposedly heading to the Big Ten. Don't forget Arizona State. And Arizona State is also in the Big 12, too. Let's that can't was forget the, them. That was the exact way that should have gone, though, because they are... I feel like there are schools here... Well, we're going to talk about this, I'm sure, but yeah. there are schools that are an afterthought, and then there's schools that are, like, after the afterthought. Cal. But I, I saw... This is maybe... I, I don't know. There, there's no great place to start here, other than recapping what has happened but arizona state i think is a really cool place to start because i think it's hilarious the um their ad ray anderson when talking at a media scrum outside of a a arizona state football practice just yesterday they were asked about the move to the big 12 and travel costs and things like that and ray anderson said we're gonna try to in in olympic sports go to divisions probably do that in football as well regionalization makes sense and there was kind of a joke about having a remote office in morgantown and his response i promise i'm not going to morgantown (laughs) he's going he'll go anywhere else but morgantown is the place that he doesn't want to go i think there's going to be some interesting like cross-country rivalries developing as there's like some sort of dig in in your regional loyalties and uh, we, we don't want to go to that part of the conference I, that i think is a big pro here it'll be like the civil conflict between ucf and uconn but i think that right there is a great window into this because it shows the exact problem with this type of realignment where an ad is openly saying 
yeah, I'm not going to be traveling all the way to Morgantown. Are you crazy? That's <laughs> all the way across the country. But our We're, softball team. <laughs> yeah, our softball team, we don't care if the kids go. Like, that's fine. We'll make them go, even though it makes no sense and is going to be insane travel dollars for the school to have to front. Like, that's totally fine. Like, that's that's the ultimate insanity of all of this. And, I mean, I think there's a lot we could get into. I think I want to start just with the back and forth and how crazy it was on Thursday and Friday, where there was all these reports, and we were getting ready to record our podcast, Mm -hmm. and it sounded like this might happen, but we decided to skip it because it was kind of a moving target and didn't want to get into something that was going to change, which is a good thing we did, because Thursday night, they had the Pac-12 meeting, and they started talking through the Apple deal that there was, was on the table for them, which is a kind of crazy deal to think about. I mean, there are different reports about how much that it would actually be worth, but there's some something about, you know, like a base of $23 million was at stake, which is definitely lower than the other major conferences. But there were opportunities based on registration to kind of upscale that. And there were like some optimistic projections that that could be as much as $50 million if like all the right chips fell into play and everybody was gung-ho about signing up for apple tv to watch the pac-12 which probably wouldn't have happened but no i think apple tv came in just above us in terms of being able to <laughs> to put a deal together to cover the pac-12 i i hate how much of this is being dictated by networks and media coverage rights and and i i feel like we're we're kind of losing the the objective here in terms of kind of what this is supposed to be about but it's hard to say. I mean, the money is the money. The money's serious. Like, you have to have money to run these athletic departments. And the reality is there are some programs that when the money's not right, when Apple TV or whatever, when the Pac-12 is struggling to find enough revenue from media, largely because of the departure of USC and UCLA. I mean, that's, again, that's kind of what kicks this off for the Pac-12. And then Colorado, even though Colorado we don't think of as, like, big marquee athletic program in the Pac-12 they did just bring in college football coachings like one of the biggest names in college football coaching so you got to think they're going to drive some attention and then they left so it's it's difficult but I just even not thinking about the other sports yet right because I think that's a whole other thing that I have a lot of thoughts on in terms of how we're screwing over some sports in the name of primarily football with some basketball consideration looking at programs like Oregon State and Washington State. You've long been an advocate of let's bring in Washington State. Let's get that. Now's the time. (laughs) Let's do it. But like to me, looking at it, probably the most realistic scenario for them moving forward is going to the Mountain West. And that means that they are going to go from making about $30 million a year off of their media rights and, and just revenue sharing to about $5 million. How do you sustain yourself as an athletic program losing that much money like i just can't it's hard for me to wrap my head around that i don't know that that's really what's going to happen i think that what we're probably going to see here is the pac-12 what's left of it will work to try to poach some programs from the mountain west to try to create something that is plausible as a football conference to try to hopefully, I keep seeing numbers thrown out from these programs saying that like, look, we need to get to about $10 million in revenue to make this like viable, which is tough. 
But like, can they do that? Can they bring in enough schools like San Diego State have been talked about in the past? Are there enough schools out there that they can bring in to make that happen? So you still have those those markets that those schools sort of bring you at least a chunk of it. But I think it's just going to be sad. Or does the Big 12 say, hey, Big Ten's bringing more. Let's bring more too. Like, I just don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of still to be determined. But I think, again, I want to linger on this just for a second. Yeah. They had a they had an, a deal that clearly seems some suboptimal compared to what the Big 12 was building, what the Big 10 was building, what the SEC has. Mm-hmm. But still, there was this idea... Thursday night into Friday morning that it was going to be okay, that the teams were going to stay, that they were committed to each other because of the regional stuff. And they figured, okay, we can figure something out, iron out these details to make this work. And then almost immediately evaporated. And Oregon and Washington were like, we're out, bye. Which I've seen a lot of people say like, well, of course it makes sense for them. You know, it's like the prisoner's dilemma of, you know, should you go, whatever. For Oregon and Washington... The reports of their payout, they're going to get $30 million to go to the Big Ten. They're not going to be full members of the Big Ten until 2030. Mm -hmm. They get a million-dollar raise each year. So maybe it makes sense for them to do this in the context of 2030, but it's not like they went and they're suddenly getting paid $50 million where it's like they're doubling their revenue. Of course, it makes sense for them to jump. Like they're not, they're like that $30 million is within the range of like something the Pac-12 could have figured out with this Apple deal. So it's crazy to me for them to do that. And then, you know, then it gets into all of the like athletic costs of sending people from, you know, you've got a game of Oregon against Rutgers and you've got to send your kids all the way across the country or Washington and Iowa are going to be playing. So like just for to blow up the conference over something like that seems crazy to me. I know it's about money. I'm not like naive in saying that, oh, we got to support our conference in the face of something that would have been, you know, huge opportunity. But this wasn't that. And and by 2030 when the new media deal comes for the Big 10, who knows what the situation will look like. I mean, Will college football even be in the same situation based on how fast things are moving? It could be, it look vastly different. The ACC deal that they signed, this grant of rights thing, seemed like a really good deal for them that they wanted to lock in for a million years when it was signed with ESPN. Now it looks like a piece of trash that everyone's trying to get off of and is legally bound to. So it's just, it's crazy. Definitely the uh, Big Ten money, at least the preliminary money that it seems that Washington and Oregon are going to get, it's not what I think it could be or, or or anything like that. But but certainly it seems the way that the Pac-12 was headed, they were going to struggle to get that much. So I think they – I feel like they just saw the writing on the wall. But even but I don't disagree, but the Pac-12 deal would have been for three to five years. They could have opted out after three years. So like – Why wait? That's fine. Yeah. I, I understand. I'm just saying it's a tough thing to blow up your whole conference to – not be a full member of something not knowing what is to come in 2030 i mean they're a full member they're just not getting the same amount a of full member salary right. bargain Listen, ben big 10 i i think there's this there's this idea we have that like as fans we are so into tradition of conference and that there's like a loyalty to that ad's and athletic programs they don't have that same sense. 
that we do of like, well, this is so important to keep it together because the tradition of the conference of champions and all this stuff. Think about an AD or even a coach. Like these guys are always trying to climb the ladder. And ultimately they are business people who need to do the best thing for their program. And I think that it's hard to argue that this move isn't the best thing. I also think there's something to consider just on a football level. If you're Oregon, for example, or either one of them really, and you're looking, I mean, when it comes to West Coast elite football recruits, it feels like for the last 20, 25 years, it's been Oregon and USC fighting for that. Well, if you look at the way the landscape is moving, USC has gone to the Big Ten. The Big Ten is positioning itself to be like the elite football conference. So if Oregon stays in the Pac-12 or the Pac-8 or whatever it was going to be, I think that they have to consider that USC as a recruiting powerhouse on the West Coast is going to be able to say, man, we play in such a better conference. And that gives them a huge advantage over those West Coast recruits. And now Oregon's probably thinking, well, we have to compete with that. How can we compete with that if we're selling recruits on a vision of you're going to play San Jose State and Idaho or whatever versus, no, you're going to go play Michigan and Ohio State and USC and UCLA. You're going to get all those opportunities. To me, it's not even close. On that note, if I'm USC, I'm kind of pissed now because <laughs> I feel like I put myself in a position initially to be able to up my recruiting game because UCLA isn't really competing in football recruiting like that. And UCLA probably feels the same way about basketball recruiting with West Coast talent. They probably felt like they were putting themselves in a great spot to do that. Because the other part of this is when it comes to recruits, a lot of there's been a growing trend over the last five to six years, at least, of West Coast recruits coming east because they realize if they stay on the West Coast, their games aren't on TV. Nobody sees them. Mm -hmm. So now... With West Coast athletic programs going east in terms of teams they're going to play regularly, I honestly think there's a, there's a significant part of this that is recruiting strategy. That's fine, and I don't disagree that it helps them in those ways. And part of what makes this frustrating is it actually makes logical sense for teams to do what they're doing. Like It's not like people are acting completely insanely for teams to want more money for their programs, to want to be in a bigger, better conference, seeing that other people are maneuvering around the country and, you know, that there is no trust and, you know, as, as great as the alliance was or whatever between the conferences, like that's just not a realistic way of keeping in touch. Like, I, I think the problem is that everybody is acting rationally individually and not collectively. We as fans generally of the sport are hoping that there was is something that would make sense for everybody, that there would be a collective thing that would make college football make sense. And the NCAA is not capable of doing that since right. they are completely negligent and actually controlling anything, letting conferences and TV deals kind of guide everything. So you have a really weak structure for putting this together. And so there is no individual like you're, you're leaving it up to individual schools to make decisions or individual states to make decisions about things like NIL and transfer portal and all this other stuff. And that's just, this is what you're left with. You're left with people just kind of like duking it out, hoping for the best for their school. But as fans, this is the thing I keep coming back to. Like 
College football has a unique and passionate fan base, and it is because of a lot of the things that seem to get lost in realignment. It is because of rivalries. It is because of regional battles. It's because of those conversations at the water cooler where you get to be like, ha, we won against your school. There is a familiarity with playing the same teams every time. And so people like those kind of things. Now, that's not to say, like, I've seen a lot of people be like, hey, uh, you're telling me you're not going to watch when Ohio State plays Oregon on, you know, in an October game? Like, yeah, a lot of fans are going to watch. I'm sure that will be a good game. But there are a lot of fans. Like, if you're a Washington State fan, do you give a shit about that game? If you don't have, a like, a real conference to compete in? No, you don't care about those national games comparatively. So... Like, I'm not saying college football is just going to stop being relevant or stop making money or, you know, whatever. But, like, I do think that there is a there are a lot of fans that are going to bail on the sport or or just watch a lot less of it. I mean, I even even the fact that our numbers on this podcast this is a very small, like inside baseball thing. But whenever we talk about realignment, our numbers go down sure. on Sabre forums because people don't want to think about that. That's not what they like about sport. Okay couple things one in terms of like what's good for the collective i think the the maybe harsh reality of it is that these schools these conferences have no responsibility to the collective they really don't the only entity that has a responsibility for the collective is the ncaa but they're toothless when it comes to this they don't have any way i mean outside of we were i was talking about this actually with my family on vacation we were talking about some of this stuff and i was like ma'am if i was in charge of the ncaa here's what i'm saying I'm laying out a plan similar to the one we talked about on this podcast like a few months ago, of like geographic alignment and saying, this is the way the NCAA is going to work. If you want to be a part of it, this is how it goes. If not, do your own thing. Have fun. I'd be curious to see if the NCAA took a hard line stance on something like that. And I know that's not fully how this works, but if the NCAA took a hard line stance on something like that to conferences, what happens? Are schools really bold enough to say, ooh, okay, we're going to totally separate separate from the NCAA? I, I don't know. Maybe. If so, you got a disaster in your hands, but I think you have that already anyway. I think we're, well, to be continued later, but I think we're three, four years away from all of this crumbling and kind of having to start from scratch. But the other part of this is I think that I'll, I'll address the last thing you said, and then I'll come back to the audience stuff. I don't know that people don't want to talk about realignment. I think that specifically ACC fans and Virginia fans probably don't really want to talk about realignment. This doesn't involve us yet in terms of our schools directly. And also, if you start to think about it too much as an ACC fan, it gets a little uncomfortable because it's hard to figure out where our conference's place is in all of this. So I think there are some fans that definitely want to talk about this. If you go on to ESPN.com or The Athletic or Bleacher Report or whatever, or you turn on ESPN on TV, it's almost all they're talking about. They don't do that unless, they have, unless they're have they getting clicks. Okay, but at the same time, like if there was an earthquake that demolished the city of Los Angeles, that would get an well, insane amount of clicks yeah. too. It's not that people think that's good or like... No, know. but they're interested in it. Now, the other part of this is... I would argue that most college football fans are similar to me in that whatever conference NC State is in, I'm going to watch their games. And the reality is that's where most of the audience is. That is fans who will watch their team no matter what. That's why when we talk about like, why would the Big Ten want Oregon and Washington for the Seattle and Portland markets? 
right? Because they know those fans are going to watch those teams. There's no difference to an Oregon fan between Oregon, Arizona and Oregon Rutgers. They're going to watch that game. The majority of them. I don't think that you lose a ton on that. So so do you think that this creates more fandom or less, like more eyes or fewer eyes watching games? I Because I, I think ultimately fewer. Sure. It's not like a drop-off that ruins college sports, but I think it is fewer overall than, like I think there's a trajectory from this that will make fewer fans. Honestly, my, my ultimate prediction is that it, it actually stays roughly the same. Because I think you're gonna you you may lose some. Here's what I predict. I, well, let me talk first. I, I think what's more important is that what the conferences see, what they think is going to happen. So what they think is going to happen is I'm going to keep the Big Ten things. I'm going to keep those Oregon fans, no matter what. They're going to watch Oregon. But then I'll use the example you gave: Oregon, Ohio State. I'm going to gain some national fans for that. So. I've kept all of my school's regional fans, added a couple of regional markets to my conference. That's nice. That's a nice little bonus from the Big Ten's perspective if we isolate just that. So Big Ten now has already gained viewers just for their conference. Again, that's all they care about. They don't care about the collective. So Big Ten, I have gained viewers. And then on top of that, I'm creating a new national market or I'm augmenting the national market so that I'm putting a product in there that's way more interesting than Alabama playing cupcake, playing Furman or something, mm-hmm. right? So, like, in those non-conference weeks, now there's something that, like, you're going to tune into Fox and watch 100%. Given those options on those weeks, we now know the Big Ten is probably going to have the most appealing games to take room on on, uh, on the schedule. I think their gamble is anything we lose in terms of regional fans, Oregon fans who say, no, actually, Oregon, Arizona does mean more to me than Oregon Rutgers, and I'm not going to watch Oregon Rutgers. Fine. We can make that up in the in the increased viewership for Oregon, Ohio State, or Oregon, Michigan, or Oregon, Wisconsin, or whatever it looks like. I just think so, there, are, there are a lot of ways to get to that, though. I mean, Oregon played... Ohio State out of conference sure. like two years ago. But it's ago. not happening consistently. And that's why I bring up the SEC playing cupcakes thing because stuff like that is still happening. So this is a way for them to create a more appealing schedule without having to rely on schools scheduling competitive opponents on their own. I I'm don't, not saying it's a great thing. I'm just saying I think it does balance. I, I don't think that they're going to all of a sudden the college football empire is going to start losing money on this. No, I don't think they're going to be like – I, the overall top programs are going to be fine. The middle to bottom programs like Washington State and Cal and other schools like that, and even even a school like Stanford, which they're not as into their football team recently, but have a history of being great in almost every other sport, soccer, swimming, all kinds of other things like that. And it has a huge endowment. Like, there's no way for them to legitimately compete without getting into a different conference. Honestly, at this point, the the better thing would be for all of the conferences to just keep going. Just keep, like, like let's make the conferences like 30 teams. And uh, then maybe we get to a point where it doesn't matter that it was the Pac-12's name. It's when half of the teams are now in the Big Ten right. anyway and having a chance to still compete. Well, but, that's what I, I think it's kind of funny and i sent you that one like i saw a lot of versions of this tweet of just like 
Yeah, the Big Ten just keeps going. They can divide off into two divisions. Get to 20 teams. Make a Big Ten and a Pac-10. Make them divisions. They play, and then you play for a conference championship at the Rose Bowl. Now you've just got what you used to have. You're just calling it something different. Fantastic. Let's just do that. That's fine. Let's keep going. Eventually, I think you land back at a similar product from where we started. That's all good. Like I said, I think a lot of it balances out in terms of football. I mean, I think that's one of the important things here is that where this all can work for football and, and it can be difficult too. in terms of I, I've, I've used the wording a lot of like who has a responsibility to whom the problem is schools are failing because they have a responsibility towards student athletes and this is not good for student athletes. So we can focus in on how this is bad or good for fans and that's fine. But I think the fan perspective is not really what's driving this at all. Well, no, it's not. Neither is a student athlete perspective, but I would argue in the hierarchy of what's important, the fan perspective is, is really at the bottom for me. Like I, again, I'm going to watch my team no matter what, and I'm going to watch these games no matter what. So all in all, I don't know that this actually affects my fandom. I know that every time something happens where there's a change, there's all sorts of fans out there who are like, oh, this is it. I'm not going to watch this anymore. The ratings suggest that that doesn't actually happen. I would. The only thing I would say about that, and then we can move on from the fan thing. I do think that there is some level, like, again, it's not everybody. It's not a change is bad, ultimately. But there are fans that are just, I think, so put off by all of this mm-hmm. that will tune in less, care less. Their team is not part of a conference that they recognize their school is not playing the rivals that they have grown accustomed to caring about. And it's really, really hard to, you know, some fans just want to see their team play and maybe go watch them play on the road. And if you're an Oregon fan and you want to go on the road, I mean, that's a, now a huge undertaking for you. If you're trying yeah. to leave Tempe, Arizona to go see your team play on the road, it's really, really difficult for most of the places that you might consider going to. So, I agree. It's not being counted at all. Fan perspective is not being counted at all, or we would not be in this situation. But yeah, I think it's still a problem. And I I would say that college football numbers are like good, but they're not so insane just because of conferences. So like Danny Nickel posted this, which, you know, a little bit of apples and oranges, but the Rutgers Maryland game last year drew 97,000 viewers whereas the pickleball matchup between the Seattle Pioneers and Los Angeles Mad Drops had 109,000 viewers. Sure. So it's not like just putting people in a conference and saying this is the better conference is going to universally make all things more fan-friendly. That's my only point. So I, my one thing is I think that there is a, a thing that we get caught up in the fan perspective of like, what tend to be the loudest voices, which I think are a minority of fans. How many fans are actually traveling from Tempe to go anywhere to watch that team play? This is a a larger problem that I think happens in sports where we're like, oh, that fan base travels well. And I don't think that actually happens all that much. I think in reality, what we're talking about is when you say like Ohio State travels well, it means there are Ohio State fans and alums in lots of different places in the country. So I think there's a part of them that's looking at that and thinking, are there USC fans in the Midwest on the East Coast? I don't know how many there are. I, like, I have no idea. I, one has to think they've done some market research to think that like this gives us something. The other part of that is like I actually just don't buy that like fans get so caught up, like a significant number of fans get that caught up in conference tradition where when they move conferences, they're just gonna like 
stop watching. Like, Texas A&M games didn't start getting empty when they moved to the SEC or Missouri or any of that, right? Like, Rutgers, Maryland is fine, but, like, nobody's watching that shit anyway. Like, no matter who, what conference they're a part of or if it's a non-conference matchup or my thing with that is, like, and I generally like Danny Nickel. I, I respect most of the things he puts out. The, to me, this is like a pretty awful comparison because people watch stuff like pickleball on TV because it's like unique and novel and you don't see it on TV. So like last night, my wife and I were watching Omega Ball. I couldn't have told you before yesterday what Omega Ball is. It's soccer with three teams and three goals played on a circular field. Love it. It's I'm pretty into dope. It. Yeah, I'm into it. But the thing is, is like I can't watch that all the time. So when it's on, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to check it out. I can watch a shitty football game between Rutgers and Maryland or schools of that ilk almost any time in the fall. So, like, yeah, it's not going to generate a ton of viewers. And I, I understand, like, those are two schools that are not exactly known for being super successful in college football recently. That's not the vision of the Big Ten. I think if the Big Ten could have said – hey, we'll trade you Rutgers in Maryland for Oregon and Washington. I think they absolutely would have done that. Like, Well, I think that's actually worth discussing too because I think that is the next phase of a lot of this. You have to trade? No, not trading, oh. <laughs> although I would love that. No, I think the next phase of this, what does Indiana football really bring to the Big Ten? Not much. Right, and at the end of this... A market, but a market. Mm -hmm. What does Vanderbilt football really bring to the SEC? I think that is the next phase of what we're going to see here, where these conferences are going to be so spread out and big, and they're going to have opportunities to acquire other things. Like, there's nothing that says in the rules that Vanderbilt has to be in the SEC. Right. Can they just kick them out? Yeah. Kick them out and bring in somebody else. But I think, Van like, I know that's just one example. A lot of those schools, though, occupy a space in those conferences because of the academic prestige they bring. And I think these conferences, like, like how many times do you see an SEC commercial where they're like, this person, and Javar, people go on to do that, like, whatever. Well, I understand. And Vanderbilt boosts that. But again, <laughs> again, all of these considerations, fans, ticket sales, all of these things are dwarfed by the amount of money that can get brought in with the next TV deal that could be provided. Mm -hmm. So that is what these schools are making decisions on and it's just for football it's not for anything else it doesn't matter really about like maybe a little bit of basketball but every other sport doesn't matter from these decision making perspectives and so i think the academic side too yeah it's great for the big 10 to be able to be like we have all of our great aau organizations and also nebraska in our conference but at the same time like Hey, you know, Rutgers maybe isn't bringing in and is carrying their weight quite as much. Kick them out. Bring in somebody else that maybe has somebody that a you know, bigger market or something like that. I like. I think that's very conceivable in yeah. the next ten years that you're going to start seeing schools get pushed out, other schools get recruited. I don't know. I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, I think that like even as I bring up the academic prestige part of this, I think that's starting to matter less and less. I don't know. Maybe those schools need to get to. I mean, because like you, you sit there and look at these conferences, and it's always those schools that you're like, they're going to be the odd man out. Stanford and Cal, Wake Forest, Vanderbilt. Maybe they need to make a nerd conference and just like get together. And I, I don't know. Like I don't. I don't. I don't have the answer for it. But you're right. I mean, ultimately, those markets are valuable. Vanderbilt has the Nashville market. 
and and that's big. But you got to think like Tennessee has a strong foothold there too. I think Stanford and Cal are an interesting part of this because that's that Bay Area market is extremely valuable. Clearly, the Big Ten doesn't feel at this moment, or the Big Twelve even, that what those schools bring you athletically, especially Cal, because financially they are in shambles. Clearly, they don't feel it's worth it. So. Some of these schools are lucky just because they happen to already be in a conference like the Big Ten. Like Indiana, you're right. Like football-wise, because football is driving this, I mean, I think they could make the argument similar to UCLA, but they're not in LA. So, like, they don't have the same market. So, yeah, I think your Rutgers, Maryland, even like an Iowa, kind of lucky to just be there. Um, Iowa State in the Big 12, kind of lucky to just be there already right that their conference is the one that has been aggressive so like stanford and cal i think they bring you a lot they both are prestigious academic institutions again the market is huge they have pretty good fan base like stanford in particular has a strong fan base they win a ton in non-revenue sports Mm -hmm. so does cal but those capital one cup or whatever it's called now. I think it's still called that. But like they're almost always at the top. Yeah, and Stanford has more. I saw this the other day, and I forget the exact number. But it's like Stanford has the most Division I national championships of any athletic program when you take in all the sports. And so you got to think like looking at that, like they have to be appealing in some way. And and, and maybe that's where a new Pac-12 starts or something, right? I'm not really sure what that looks like. Uh, Honestly, if I'm Stanford, I might just go independent and, and see what happens when the dust settles, but I don't know that they want to do that. Cal can't afford to do that. So it is interesting to see where all this goes. Look, I I think that my last like fan thing on this, if you're really upset about the turbulence and you don't like teams shuffling around, here's my advice to you. Pick a Mac team and be a fan. The Mac is like the model of consistency in all of this. All 12 members of the MAC have been in the conference since at least 1998. Half of the league has been a member since 1952. No other FBS conference can say that. Long live MACTION. I think that um, I love Mac. I love watching the MAC. MAC football is so fun. That conference doesn't change. So, like, if you're seriously, if you don't like this and you want to like pick a conference to be able to be loyal to, that's going to be loyal to you. The MAC, of course, like the most Midwestern thing. They're not leaving you. They're just. They're just there, consistent, dependable, fun, right? So, you know, go Toledo or Buffalo or something like that. The Akron Zips. Directional Michigan. <laughs> right. Just pick a pick a direction and a Midwestern state, <laughs> and that's your school. Yeah. You wanted to talk a little bit about the, the actual athletes yeah. that are going to get screwed over by this. And I think, I mean, we're already starting to see that there are some in, you know, uh, other sports, non-revenue generating sports people leaving those schools Mm -hmm. like entering the transfer portal just because they don't want to have to travel all the way across the country i get the sense that there are some people out there who are like well they don't make money so who cares about it but like again so much of being a fan like i've said this on the show being a virginia fan is not just how the football team does or how the basketball team does for me like it it matters to me that our program is good in lots of other sports and has a universal appeal beyond just two sports that make money so i think that this is the main thing that i have the problem with is everyone has been so upset about nil and athletes being able to have some level of agency have the ability to change schools if a family member is sick or 
their girlfriend attends another school or whatever. Like everyone has had a huge problem with this and has complained about it. Here are the actual schools themselves just picking up and changing conferences without any agreement from anybody, even from coaches. They just decide that they're going to do this. And it completely screws over their athletes. It screws over people who have made donations to schools where, you know, they want scholarships filled for things. And now there may be sports that cannot actually field teams based on this. So I think I think that part sucks a lot. Like that universally seems like it sucks to me. I don't know if you have a different thought. Yeah, no, I, I think that this is a pretty awful thing from that perspective. And the sad thing, one of the sad things is that it may take having to have some high profile athletic programs get shut down or at least go have to pause because of financial concerns for people to realize how big of a problem this may be before I'll get into the other sports, but like the, even on the football level, it's not inconceivable that without a real solution, some of the schools that we've talked about, Oregon state, Washington state, Cal, even Stanford, that like their football programs could be in trouble. I was reading something the other day about like, kind of warning fans not to underestimate. I mentioned the financial concerns at Cal. They're having issues. And if they can't find a spot that gets them some revenue to help balance some things out, like that program is in trouble. And that's that's hard to imagine. What's not hard to imagine is that happening to some other sports at some schools. One of the things that's been really cool over the last couple of days is a bunch of softball players from the Pac-12 have been very active on I still call it Twitter uh, on Twitter or, can just or, call it Twitter. or it's X, fine. kind of making statements about not happy with realignment. And so there's a few different things, especially Oregon. Oregon has a few players that have been very vocal. Paige Senecki, who plays softball at Oregon, said, I picked to play in a high level softball conference. We're being close to home would allow my parents to come watch my games. It's unfortunate to hear that my senior year, I'll be playing as far away as New Jersey, as well as other East Coast schools. I mean, that's a, a perspective that I think gets lost in this is that we think about high profile football recruits and basketball recruits and they're going to go to their best situation. And it's not uncommon for some of those athletes to go really far from home in order to find the best like athletic uh, scenario for them. Right. Like Duke basketball. I just think they always have guys from all over the place. That doesn't happen as much in these non-revenue sports. You know, like you look at like a college baseball roster or a college softball or volleyball roster, tennis, a lot of times it's people who are like from that region. So like important to consider, you know, when you think about that similar. So an Arizona State player, Shannon Cunningham said, chose to play in the Pac-12 because the ability to play close to home in front of family. My family wouldn't have to worry about far travel or giving up vacation time just to come see me play. Interesting perspective on top of that from another Oregon softball player, uh, Morgan's, Morgan Scott, thinking about mental health. So the Big Ten put out this tweet of the new map of all the schools and said, this is big, right? Of course, they're, they're marketing. And she was, this is in a response to that. Anyone going to talk about all the other sports that play multiple games on a weekend? What happened to mental health? The balance of practice, travel, school, and having a social life is already hard enough. This just adds more stress. I think this is something that is being overlooked. I hope it's being overlooked, honestly, because the alternative is they see it and just don't care. This is going to be bad for those kids who play those other sports. I, I think that it could be really bad in terms of things having to shut down, like you kind of said. Ultimately, I think the solution here probably is like college football may just have to operate separately from the other sports. 
We see this some with schools joining different conferences for different sports, depending on what's available to them uh, in their conference. But I, I just think we're further down that road now. We're like, it may be fine. If you can make the Big Ten work for Oregon and football, that's great. But I think you're going to find that it's too much of a strain for some of these other sports. And you may need to say we're in a separate conference for all this other stuff. Big Ten football, maybe even basketball. Great. To me is where this thing all starts to fall apart. Maybe in a good way, but I think that this is not going to be sustainable. I've seen all sorts of solutions thrown out of like, you know, put your Ohio State, send your volleyball and your soccer, whatever. Send two teams on a plane. They alternate days playing at USC and UCLA, so you just knock it all out in one weekend. I still don't think that's sustainable. No, it's 100% not. Yeah. So, like, to me, it's like for football, we can sit here and, like, nitpick the things that are good things that are bad whatever i just think for the other sports this just doesn't work like flat out yeah i think it would be better i think this is something that nick saban has actually been a proponent of just have a different set of rules for football and take those however many schools want to be a part of it where you're trying to make money and tv deals and all this other stuff but the problem is that so much of the ability to have those other programs and scholarships is dependent on being part of a conference and having a TV deal that's associated with that. So like it would be great if Alabama and Clemson and who Ohio State and whatever they make their own conference of football champions, but then that would completely cut off the other sports for all the schools that are not a part of it. So yeah, it it sucks it sucks that so much of this is dependent on uh, higher learning education like like this the universities like that is why we are attached to our teams it's often the schools that we went to or schools that we have a close local attachment to but these are schools ultimately we are asking people to be student athletes like the ncaa likes to point out in every piece of marketing that they do but then are asked to completely not be on campus for large periods of time when they're in season yeah, I just uh, there's a lot of conflicting values and stated priorities. I don't know, man. It still feels like while it feels like the dust is starting to settle in terms of what things are going to look like for the next year or two, this still just feels to me like we're very much in the middle of something. The way we see the Big Ten, the Big 12 right now or, or whatever is to come, even if you assume, if you look ahead and think of Florida State and Clemson to the SEC, like... Whatever that looks like, I still think those are not finished products. Like I, I think it's the the beginning of the end of college football as we know it. I don't mean the sport's going to go away. I just mean I think it's going to be a total reorganization. And you know, the NIL stuff is not separate from this, right? Like some of that stuff when you think about employee status for athletes, like all of this is going to come together and create a perfect storm. That, in my opinion, my prediction is like the end of ncaa oversight of college football but we'll see we'll have to start thinking of our ways to pivot maybe to omega ball this podcast can <laughs> yeah. be an omega ball podcast listen man i'm telling you it's thrilling to watch i'm, I'm into it I, I became a big fan of a team called the eagles last night mm. they almost had Fly a thrilling bird. come from behind victory over drift oh yeah, yeah. Mm. there was another team that didn't score at all so that's like most soccer games. <laughs> but yeah. So one one last thing that I want to uh, say about this is just want to take a quick look at Florida State. And, you know, it's amazing that 
given everything that's just happened, how quickly things moved, Oregon, Washington, very quietly, people knew that this was possibly on the horizon, but very quiet from the actual university mm. and what they were doing in the lead up to this. You have Florida State like openly just like posting next door ads saying like, we want out. Get us out of here. Yeah. Give us more money. Better conference. Seems, uh, seems like they're not going to get that. No, I mean, they don't have a way to do it unless they can get a majority of the ACC to leave with them. Like my understanding is that's pretty much the only way they can break this grant of rights. Or yeah, I mean you got to take it to court first, or pay See, a massive fee. Right? Nobody has a hundred and twenty million dollars and then is willing no. to give up all the money that they would be bringing in. No, it's it's absurd. This is like we're sitting there family vacation talking about some of this, and my dad gave me this. He's like, "You see, Florida State's going to lead the ACC." I'm like, they, "They literally can't." This has been it's it's amazing to me to watch the media outlets like they have spent the last few weeks talking about how ironclad the ACC grant of rights deal is, how everybody's handcuffed to this conference. All of a sudden, Florida State starts yelling, and they're like, oh, my God, they're leaving. And it's like, you just spent the last three weeks telling me that they can't. So now all of a sudden, we're supposed to be uh, like, also, like, sit the sit, sit down, Florida State. <laughs> like, you're not, this is not the, like, Bobby Bowden years. You haven't been, I know, like, I am and will continue to be a believer that they're going to be really good this year and that Mike Nordvell has done a really good job of bringing them back. But like in terms of recent success, they're not on that level to be able to dictate what happens in this conference. This is what's such a problem about taking things only based on where people are at football-wise right now. Right. Like Virginia Tech, for example, has had an amazing history, is one of the better programs in the country over the last 25 years. Sure. Right now, they're not a bowl team. Right. And they're in a part of Southwest Virginia that does not have, they're not like a national brand in the way that Washington and Oregon are. They don't have a media market that's right there. Why would somebody want Virginia Tech right now? You'd have, or you'd have to say it's because that they have a history of being a really good football team and they have fans that are committed to their sport, which they, they absolutely do. Mm -hmm. But like right now, I don't know, how appealing are they? That's a really hard thing to actually judge. And like different conferences are probably going to see that in different ways. And I think you could argue the opposite for like a Clemson, right? Mm -hmm. Where like, do you get too caught up in recency bias that they have been good for the last 15 years? And forget that before that... Dabo is going to leave to go to Alabama in two years, and then Clemson <laughs> sucks again. So, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing, and I think the ACC is kind of full of programs like that, to be quite honest with you. And and I think that's going to create some potential challenges. But, yeah, I mean, the the what's interesting about this to me is one of the central reasons that the ACC has not been able to generate enough revenue to make teams like Florida State happy, apparently, is because those teams that they added... Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech, Boston. We go to the later ones, like the Boston College, Syracuse, Louisville, because they haven't played up to the level that we thought they would when they came into the conference. That's the uncomfortable truth. So Florida State, the reason you're not making enough money is because you haven't been as good since you joined the ACC as you were before. Like maybe pull, hold your weight, and then we can start talking about making more money. In the meantime, like NC State has a better ACC football record than Florida State over the last five years, and it's really not all that close. They haven't beaten us in five years, so there might have been one time. But like, <laughs> fancy but stats. I ha I don't have that right in front of me, but I know that like it is. I know that in terms of ACC record, 
uh, we've got them beat. Um, and several other, a couple other schools do too. So I, I just don't think you're in a position. Your basketball program has been successful, but your coach is very old. So like how sustainable is that going to be? And in the last couple of years, hasn't been that good. Mike Norvell, like things are really good. But at this point, if another program were to come calling, could we say he's not going to jump ship? Is Florida State, they're not on that tier anymore of a program that you wouldn't leave to go coach somewhere else. I, I just, I don't know, man. I think like it's great. You're upset, but you're kind of stuck in this relationship. Unless they can get a majority of programs to say, yeah, we'll leave. But I can't imagine there are nine programs. You think Syracuse is trying to get out of the ACC? No. Like, they're not. They No. no they don't have an incentive. Boston College doesn't have an incentive. Wait. Yeah, there's no way there's All nine programs that feel confident they Georgia have a Tech. landing place. No. That's a lot of talk about realignment. Yeah. Let's talk about something else. Okay. Let's talk about something that we can look forward to. And the thing in sports that people look forward to the most are predictions. Yeah. The hot takes. Steaming piping hot takes love it because the best thing about takes is that most of them are wrong and then you get to like point at somebody and be like you idiot that was completely wrong so we're gonna have our hottest takes for the upcoming 2023 football season the way i thought we could do this is each of us present a hot take and the other one we can kind of do a buy sell thing if we're buying each other's takes or if we think what what percent do you believe all of your takes. No. That, what percentage? Like you have to believe some extent, right? Like a hot take doesn't I necessarily believe, be like you right. absolutely believe something, but there has to be some metric of like I, I'm like fifty per fifty one percent that this could happen. I believe that. So okay, we talked we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. A couple of mine are potentially contradictory. But so it's not that I 100% believe that all of these will happen, but I'd say that each of these I am over 50% sure that they could happen. Okay. <laughs> In fact, I would say all of these, I feel there is a. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm not going to go higher than that. <laughs> like we've both seen Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. So we're saying that there's some universe where this has happened. It yeah, may exactly. be like exactly. one where it's paint or hot dog fingers right. or whatever right. but but i just mixed up movies but that's you did, but yeah. it's okay okay do you want to go first or do you want me to go first sure I'll, I'll start us with an easy one because it's one that i've actually already said on the show mm-hmm. just last week texas will be in the college football playoff i buy it yeah i'm i'm all in so their their main obstacle is they play at alabama september 9th which is a big game for them if they manage to win that game my prediction has them winning that game yeah so if they win that game they're in a great spot I mean, they could probably lose another Pac-12. Or, oh God, Pac-12. They could lose another. <laughs> they could lose another Big 12 game and still make the playoff. I think. Obviously, it's very difficult to win at Alabama, but they almost beat Alabama last year. Like it yeah. came down to a last-second field goal. So yeah. I believe it. I'm in. Bye. All right, my first one I've also shared on this podcast is Brennan Armstrong, your boy, quarterback, you're gonna do this. starting quarterback of NC State. Yeah. He is going to start 12 games, 13 mm. games, actually, because mm. they are going to make a bowl game. Yeah. Probably like the Duke's Mayo Bowl again. Sure. He's going to start all the games. Okay. MJ Morris will, you know, maybe play in backup time whenever, you know, NC State wins by a lot or, you know, it's down by 30 points to somebody. But 
Yeah. Brendan Armstrong is going to start, but they're not going to make the ACC championship game. So it's not quite your prediction of like, if Brendan plays all the games, things are going gangbusters. I think he is just locked in as your quarterback. Mm. I'm selling the hell out of this. Um, really? Can't, yeah. can't believe it. Brendan Armstrong will start against UConn. He'll play the first half, maybe even three quarters, but I think at a certain point in the second half, the game will be in hand and MJ Morris will enter. Okay. I think they'll both play pretty well. MJ Morris, I think, will play very well, but because it'll probably be against also some backups and in a blowout, the coaching staff is going to feel like, well, you know, we Brendan Armstrong did enough to help us win that game. We can't make a change. Then the very next week, we played Notre Dame at home. Okay. Brennan Armstrong is going to start that game. He's going to play probably most of the first half, if not the entire first half. And we're going to struggle a little bit. I think he gets replaced. MJ Morris, similar to what he did against Virginia Tech last year, leads the team to a win. VMI is next. We got VMI and Virginia as games three and four. I think Brennan Armstrong still starts both of those games. MJ Morris plays some significant time in the VMI game. Virginia game I think that might be it's hard to tell I could see my actually kind of like bold prediction for that game is that Brandon Armstrong is a little too fired up and does not play that well then we go to Louisville I'm sorry Louisville comes to us that's the game that I think Brandon Armstrong gets benched in MJ Morris takes over against Louisville takes it from there Brandon Armstrong doesn't see the field again the rest of the year and the team yeah. and the team is going 12 and 0 <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The I think benched quarterback of an undefeated team. I think this is very much a one or two loss team, though. But that's okay. I'm not putting that as a bold take. I I, I thought that was going to be a little too close to home. So. Hey, Sabermetrics, they were my, one of my over season overs this yeah, past week. I don't read Give, stuff. So. Well, I know you don't. <laughs> Give it a read out there. Go ahead. All right. My next hot take. I'll go ahead and do one that I've mentioned before as well, and then I'll get to my crazy <laughs> later. Caleb Williams. Becomes the first repeat Heisman winner since Archie Griffin. I think there's a decent chance of that happening. It's not that hot take because he's, like, really. he's the favorite. He's the favorite. But nobody's done this since the 70s. That, that, that's what mm. I think makes it a hotter take is that it just doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm going to sell just because I think there are a lot of other people, including one of my picks here in a second, which I'll get to. I swear to God, if you have the same, because I have another Heisman. This is the one. No, I don't think I, think. I think we have different ones. Okay. We've talked about this, but... I think it will not be him. My hot take is that it will be Marvin Harrison Jr. Mm. of Ohio State. This is the guy who got knocked out of the playoff game against Georgia, and Ohio State was ahead and did not end up winning the game, famously on a missed hilarious uh, field goal. He was an incredible, had an incredible sophomore campaign, 14 touchdowns, 1,263 receiving yards, he had 53 catches of 10 or more yards out of 77 total catches overall. I think he's going to be really, really important. And with the questions that Ohio State has at quarterback, since they don't have an experienced quarterback, now that C.J. Stroud is out and there's some question about who the starter will be, I think he will just be such an important part of their offense. He will be like one of the centerpieces. I give it to him. So a wide receiver as a Heisman yeah. winner. I'm selling almost every part of that. Because my next hot take is that Marvin Harrison Jr. is not Ohio State's leading receiver. Ooh. I think Emeka Ibuka is going to be Sell. the leading Sell. receiver for the Ohio State Buckeyes, and they're going to have a rough year. 
But, okay, fine. Sell that all you want. I got another hot take that's a non-quarterback winning the Heisman. Okay. All right. Nicholas Singleton, running back, Penn State. This guy is the best running back they've ever had. He's better than Saquon. His freshman year was unreal. By the way, if you look into this and decide you like it, FanDuel, you can get this guy at plus 8,000 to win the Heisman. Not bad. Buy that. So it's a kind of a two-part hot take that Nicholas Singleton will win the Heisman and Penn State will win the national championship. So yeah, obviously kind of contradictory with the Heisman part, but and I know I said last week I think Michigan's going to be in the playoff, but the more I think about it, I like Penn State. I really do too. And they get Ohio State at home. Yeah, I I'm I'm pretty big on Penn State. It's one of those that I don't feel great about because there's just like a I get this vibe around James Franklin that something will always not work out for them. Kind They'll of just like a snake oil salesman to me. Yeah, and it, but like they've been good. It's not like they've sure. been six and six. It's not like Jimbo Fisher style at Texas A and M. But like I just don't trust him. But I feel like this is their best team. This is clearly the best team. They have the opportunity to win the Big Ten. Kind of connected to these two, one of my other takes, which is a little bit contradictory given what I said about Harrison and the Heisman, but. <laughs> I think Ohio State is going to go 10-2 and two this year. It's going to look a little rough, like you said. And Ryan Day will be on the chopping block despite wow. a 10-2 season. After another loss, a third straight loss to Michigan, not making the college football playoff, not even making the Big Ten championship game because they're going to lose to Michigan. I could see them losing to Michigan and Penn State and their fans just being like, this is unacceptable. He's gone. Wow. I think I'm selling – I'm buying the part of, like, having a rough season. But I can't imagine him on, like, a real hot seat. I don't know. People say he's on a hot seat now just because yeah, he hadn't beaten Michigan twice. That's, like, what they care about up there. I know. I'm not saying he will definitely be fired, but at 10-2 with that situation, yeah, that's some uncomfortable questions that he's th- going to be asked. Right. I think I'm selling it, but, like, I'm really thinking about buying it. You know, like – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand there in the store and look at it for a while. Hold it in your hand. See, oh, maybe it'll maybe, go on sale. Maybe. Yeah. All right. I, I, have a, I have a similar take in terms of a, of a like coaching hot seat take. I've got a coach who's not going to finish off the season. And his name, Mac Brown. Mm. I think Mac Brown. You think he's going to uh, least... overheat with his puffy jacket <laughs> in a September game? <laughs> I think that Mac Brown, and it'll be presented as under his own volition. I think he'll step down, retire, whatever. This is actually, we didn't talk about this last week, but this is something I've been kind of hearing, and it was in that Athlon piece that you talked about, about North Carolina, is that there's a feeling among a lot of high school coaches and recruits that they don't really have a vision for beyond this season because they're kind of going year to year with him because um, that guy is old. And uh, I think they're going to struggle a little bit more than expected this year. I've been on the record of saying that. My less than hot take is that he's not back next year, but I, th- I think he doesn't even finish this year. I think he will finish the year. I guess I sell that. I buy the premise, but I sell the actual pitch that you're making. But I, the reason I think that is just because intuitively I think he will want to have some like grand goodbye Right. thing like i they'll make a bowl game and then the whole lead up to the bowl game will be win one for mac and yeah, i could see that 
you know, even if it's like the cheese it bowl, like we wanted, we want to douse Mac and cheese. It's one more time <laughs> before he retires. That's fair. That's fair. Let's stay in the ACC. Okay. My hot take, which I know you're going to sell, hmm. but I'm going to pitch it anyway. Clemson's going to go undefeated and make the college football playoff undefeated. And as a result of that, the reason they're going to go undefeated is because Will Shipley, their only experienced position player right. who's really good, is going to have a Heisman caliber campaign and be invited to New York. He's not going to win. Yeah. Because I've already said Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to win. But right. well, I got two guys one of the Heisman, so. <laughs> They're going to duel. You got to share it. You got to first ever Monday through Thursday. <laughs> this guy can have it Friday is Sunday. No, but I think uh, Will Shipley will finalist. be a finalist wow. and Clemson will make it. I have I have Texas, Clemson, LSU and Michigan as my four teams that make the playoff this year. I get it. I think that there are people there are plenty of people out there who feel that this Clemson team is going to be really good. I don't see it. And I absolutely am selling this. I'm kind of in the camp of like, you didn't present this as a take, but I'm sort of selling Kate Klubnik. I just don't, I'm not a big believer. To me, it feels a lot like when DJ U came in. Ui Ungakale. Thank you. That was not bad. There's a reason I have that one <laughs> in the can. Go ahead. It feels very similar to when he first, you know, played some spot duty and came in some and everybody was like oh this guy's gonna be amazing and then when he had the full-time job it just wasn't that great and i feel like this is gonna be a a similar situation but i don't know it's hard to say but i i i kind of yeah i I don't think i definitely don't think they're going undefeated that's that's there's no they get all their toughest games at home not all of them well i said all their toughest games okay (laughs) anyway they do play nc state on the road yeah and and by that point, MJ Morris is gonna have <laughs> really hit this Heisman. He'll be one of the Heisman finalists. That's up next year. No, okay. but I'll get there in a second. Uh, <laughs> all right, my next hot take this is my last hot take for this season. Okay, Vanderbilt and Colorado both in bowl games, mm. possibly against each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of uh, black it. and gold in one stadium. That's right. This is my black and bold take. Okay. You like that? I set that up way too easily. Yeah. Love that. Vanderbilt, uh, Colorado, each bowl eligible. I think sell. I could see it, though. I think both of them will hit their overs. Both Easily. of them. Vandy's, bo- uh, Vandy's win total is crazy. It's like three and a half. Three and a half, and they have three gimmies on their schedule. Yeah. I think, uh, I think they definitely hit the over. Colorado I'm a little bit less sure about, but I think it's like four wins. It's just not that hard. Anybody no. can get four wins. And then, like... We've had five win teams make bowls. So notice I said they're no. each mm-hmm. in bowls. So like it doesn't have to be six wins. Maybe a second COVID outbreak but will <laughs> take 10, 10 teams and they'll God get willing. Yeah. Uh, no, but if I mean, we look at this like Vandy's schedule. Hawaii, win. Alabama A&M, win. Wake Forest. First of all, you couldn't pay me to watch that game. It's also at 11 a.m. Wow. <laughs> uh, like that sucks. But I think a win, UNLV win. So you're already at four, and you're you're they're going to start four and zero. I'm telling you right now, that may, maybe that's part of my hot take. Vandy starts four and zero, then they go Kentucky, Missouri, Florida. Maybe you win. Maybe, maybe, maybe you win one Florida. of those. Maybe two. We got Ole Miss, Auburn. You think Hugh Freeze is going to get this thing together? No. 
And then I think they upset either South Carolina or Tennessee. Colorado, undefeated. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> they're, they're getting to a bowl. We've uh, talked about their schedule before. Yeah. Uh, I have one more take yeah. and then can move on. Mm-hmm. But like I just referenced, DJ U is going to be having, a, he's going to be a great quarterback this year, even though I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I have no reason to believe this based on history. But. Oregon State is my TCU this year, although oh. I think they will just not make the playoff because everybody's going to want to put in Texas and Michigan and LSU and all that other stuff. But I don't know who you take out. So it's not even that crazy of a take. Oregon State was 10-3 and three last year. They have uh, a lot of their toughest games at home. They've got eight returning starters plus DJU there. And I feel like he's going to have a major bounce back season. And I feel like fans are going to support Oregon State. They're going to be angry. There's going to be this groundswell of support for the Beavers because they got left out of this Big Ten deal. And everyone's going to feel sad for them. It's going to be a rallying cry. And Corvallis is a tough place to play anyway. They they have like a ridiculous home record over the last three or four seasons. Yeah. So Oregon State will be like just on the outside looking in. It would not surprise me if they are 10-1 and one going into their final game of the year at Oregon hmm. with a chance to make the Pac-12 championship game. I don't know if I totally buy it, but I I also don't I don't want to sell it because I like it. Go be, like, I, I love Oregon State. You know what? I'll buy it. Go Beavs. Let's just yeah, do it. Let's just be Oregon State fans at this point. Why yeah. not? Yeah, I'm into it. All right. I have two future hot takes. One is for next year, and that is that both MJ Morris and Travis Hunter from Colorado will be Heisman finalists. Mm. I think Travis Hunter might do it this year, but I'm not quite ready to make that call. My next one that I feel much more strongly about is that Matt Rule's Nebraska rebuild will fail. Okay, that's not even hot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Every every. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. I guess a lot of people have like every that. outlet out there is like, well, this is obvious. Well, like literally, you start to read some of these like Big Ten articles, looking ahead, and they're like, well, we can just assume in the next couple of years that Nebraska will be back towards the top, and it's like, what? Based on what? Like this guy is a joke. I've seen it up close and personal. It may have worked somehow at Temple and Baylor. I think it was more a function of like he had really good coaches around him and also both of those situations like he was not really facing the most elite competition. This conference is about to get a lot harder and he's at Nebraska, which like, you know, he's they've had some recruiting wins, but this guy is like just short of PJ Fleck on the crazy ladder. <laughs> Matt Rule. I do think it's Baylor. weird that he... Nebraska this year is like six, six and a half as their win total. And he's done a good job of building Temple and Baylor and his two stints there. But his first year was a disaster at both. Like he had yeah. one win and two wins at both. So it's, that would be a team that I might be leaning as an under if I were to write an article weekly for betting on mm-hmm. such things on the saber.com. On there? Well, I don't know. I guess you have to find out this week when my unders article gets posted. Oh, you, you, it was just over. So it was I just I really o- haven't read it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's on the Saber. Well, usually the you Saber send it to me and they're like, hey, it's up. You should go read it. Okay. It always, it's a great read. Thanks. <laughs> it really is. I, I like really enjoy it. And historically, I'll, I'll text it to you. I'm a pretty, a I'm a pretty bad friend. I'm not as, su- <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm not as successful of a gambler as you are most of the time. Now, when I'm good, I'm good. I get on some pretty crazy heaters, but they are random. 
I will say when I pull one from your Sabermetrics thing, they usually do pretty well. There you go. Well, if you have any hot takes that you would like to share with the show, you can do that by emailing us at preferredwalkons at yahoo.com or you can find us on Instagram or X by finding us at PWOPod or you can just listen to us on the Saber every week. But go ahead and mash that subscribe button, whatever whatever podcast catcher you use. Yeah, subscribe. Every time somebody subscribes. Angel gets its wings.